What is up, everybody? We are back for another episode on the Lemon Soul podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Nawal Mustafa, also known as The Brain Coach on Instagram. She is doing absolutely incredible things in spreading such great self-help tools, not only in Windsor, but worldwide with a huge following behind her. I am so lucky to have her on the podcast today, and I just can't wait to dive in. She's a PhD student currently in in clinical neuropsychology, if I didn't mess that up. (laughs) And she is also an absolute sweetheart, and everything that she does on her Instagram is evidence-based, which I think is hugely important in the realm of the mental health and wellness community on Instagram. So please go check her out at The Brain Coach and let's get into our conversation. Please listen carefully. All right, well, welcome to the internet version of the Lemon Soul Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I am so stoked, guys. We have Nawal here um, from The Brain Coach. You've probably seen me share her stuff on Lemon Soul before. If you haven't, go check it right now. Um, but I'm like so stoked. I was just telling her that I had followed her page for a little while and was sharing all her stuff. And then I looked a little close and I was like, oh shit, she's from Windsor. Like, what is going on? This girl's like famous <laughs> on the internet and she is from Windsor and I had to connect. So like, thank you so much for scheduling this in. I know you like, you're a full-time PhD student <laughs> with a lot of stuff going on. I don't know how you managed <laughs> to get it all done in a day. Because running an Instagram page is very time-consuming also, so I I commend you for all the things that you're doing. I can imagine you have a very busy schedule. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I honestly, it's uh, it's another full-time job, but it's a labor of love. So I thoroughly enjoy doing this. That's why I just keep doing it. It's anytime, anytime I have free time, this is what I'm doing, and I love it. So I'm glad that you have found my content good enough to share it on your page too. It really means a lot to me. No, and absolutely. I feel, totally agree. It's like I come home from work and then I'm like, I continue working doing like lemon soul stuff. It, it is. It's like a full-time job, even though it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still, it's, yeah. it, creating content is, is time consuming, um, especially as mm-hmm. a PhD student. So give me a little rundown. You're an immigrant. Your Are both your parents from Pakistan? Yes. Okay. Yes. So both of my parents are from Pakistan and we actually immigrated in 2005. So I was 12 at the time. Um, and obviously I'm South Asian, so minority here too. Um, but I think the biggest part of my story growing up was that I moved around a lot because as an immigrant, my parents were not able to find a stable job for a long time. So I ended up going to six different high schools. We ended up moving um, provinces in the middle of um, so I was in, I finished grade 11 and in grade 12, I moved to, um, Windsor. So I attended Massey here my last year. Um, so yeah, so that's, I think the struggles that are associated with being an immigrant and acculturating as well as, uh, trying to find a stable environment was something that I grew up with. And it's a huge part of who I am now. Yeah, absolutely. Like I can't even imagine the types of things that you have gone through and especially things that change from being 12 years old being a teenager, being a young adult, have you seen kind of, like, how did you adjust along the way? I mean, there is obvious struggle along the way. Has it gotten better over the years? Do you still kind of deal with the same type of stuff now as as an adult or has it differentiated? I think um, 
there's it's really interesting because whatever you get used to you find comfort in that right so if if it's chaos you're going to find chaos comfortable now my chaos was not um something like a toxic family environment this was more moving schools so not having uh stable friends every year so every year i would have to have a new friend or i'd be the new new girl making new friends and so on so when i first moved to windsor after grade 12, I attended University of Windsor, and that's a whole four years. And then I've been at University of Windsor for a long time. So eventually, I would get bored in my environment, and I just want to get up and move. Like, I had that urge to do that, and it was very uncomfortable to have these friends for a longer time than one year. Um, so these little things, I think, were uh, interesting to notice as I learned to be in a more stable environment. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, definitely with my family, obviously my parents tried their best to provide an, an environment that was good and they didn't really make us feel like they were struggling. And now being an adult, I realized how crazy it would have been for them to just get up and move, start from zero and then provide all this for their kids. Um, so I think there's just, there's obviously costs and benefits. Um, great opportunity in Canada and being able to educate myself to this extent and be supported throughout my PhD because Canadian PhD programs usually support you fully through their tuition, which is amazing. So all these opportunities came uh, because we were able to establish ourselves here. So I think it's like a cost versus benefit. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. You know, someone who just follows your page and logs on and sees you and sees how well you're doing and you wouldn't necessarily necessarily know like someone's backstory and you had written in your intake form you grew up a lot of the time feeling like an outcast which mm -hmm. most people would probably be very surprised um to know why do you think do you think it was the moving and the process and the friends changing that made you feel that way I think there's multiple aspects. There's also part of it has to do with me coming from a country where I was the majority um, and here I am a very small minority of Canada. Um, and this is, yes, South Asians themselves uh, make up a huge chunk of Canadian population. I love that Canada is so multicultural for that reason. Um, but specifically Pakistani, Muslim, like there's a lot of things that kind of play a role into me becoming more of a minority than I am. And obviously a woman. Um, there's also things uh, associated with that, um, having brown skin and so on. So uh, I think. The biggest struggle with me feeling like an outcast was uh, me staying in a homogenous group of people that I felt comfortable around. And whenever I tried to um, steer my way into people that were outside of my culture, outside of um, the norm, for example, the smallest thing like me growing up in a different country means I didn't watch the same TV shows growing up. So if someone would mention something and uh, go back, re refer back to a show in the past, and I'd be like, oh man, I don't know what you're talking about. So just these, these little things, I think, added on to um, all those, those big things of being a minority and not understanding the culture completely and not feeling like I was being understood completely. Well, yeah, it's like it seems so minuscule, but those things add up. And especially when you're young, right? All we want to do is fit in and feel like mm -hmm. we've been seen, especially at such a young age. And those very minute things are actually really big things at the end of the day when everyone else can relate and you're the one that cannot, which I think yeah. 
which I think represents, uh, you know, a, not just an, in everyone's own individual way, kind of can relate to that feeling. Um, but not everyone, but if, if you have struggled in the past with feeling like you don't fit in, um, people can relate to that kind of outcast mentality, regardless if it was based on um, culturally or socially, economically, whatever it, it may be. Um, so it's nice to hear that someone who has, is successful and doing great things, you know, also understands the other side of it. Um, and I think that's what is also really great about your content is, and again, what you put out is that even people like you were mentioning your intake form, psychiatrists, therapists, they go through stuff as well. And this more relates obviously into like our adulthood. Um, but as someone like you were saying that has decades of knowledge and education in learning this stuff, you still go through stuff in your daily life as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, uh, so we all go through our own struggles and something that might feel like I'm not fitting in, in one way might be very different for someone else who is, the majority here, like I have friends who, um, you know, just even so say the someone who is the most highly prioritized, a white male person, um, they still go through their things and the most successful people go through their own personal struggles. But I think it's, it has to do with resiliency and self-awareness. Um, and as an adult, especially coming in, learning about psychology and understanding what are the certain beliefs that we hold for ourselves really do for us um, and how we can kind of steer our way to believe better things that we feel about ourselves and about people around us. Um, that has a huge impact on how we um, function in life every single day. So yes, we go through our stuff. We uh, face hardships. Uh, sometimes they come unexpectedly and sometimes uh, we don't even realize what kind of a toxic relationship or environment we're in until we get out of it. But if we are consciously working to become more and more self-aware and understanding how we behave in certain environments, that has a huge impact on how we ultimately will uh, cater that environment. So whatever we're consuming, for example, on social media, whoever we're spending our time with, if we have friends that are literally uh discouraging us to grow and move forward they're making fun of us if we do try something new that's gonna prevent us from going it's just gonna prevent us from our our journey to move forward so i think there's a lot of these things that um, people forget are important no matter what stage in life they're in no matter how educated they are no matter how rich they are these are all internal things that matter for every single person yeah, I like exactly what you're saying. Like, doesn't matter what stage of life you're at, everyone's going to go through something, whether you're 17 or you're 75, there's different, there's different trials and errors and mistakes and struggles that you go through at different stages of life forever. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say are some of things that like when you're overwhelmed and you're burnt out and you're having a shit day, shit week, shit month, whatever it is, as someone who has a ton of education, what is like your like, go-to thing that you're like okay i need to this is like either your tip or your trick what's like something that you do to kind of maybe try and switch gears so i think okay so one of the main uh unhealthy coping mechanisms that i have is withdrawal anytime i get super overwhelmed uh rather let it be classes work or just uh social obligations even 
you know, I would just shut down. I'll cancel my plans. I will procrastinate. I just won't know. I'll sit on my desk and I won't know where to start. And I just waste my time. It can turn into this cycle where it just gets worse and worse. And as I procrastinate more or withdraw more, my anxiety heightens. So the only thing that uh, I found to work for me is really sit down and list out all the things that I want to do. And this can be, it's not just tasks that need to get done. It's also things I want to do for myself. So self-care, like what do I want to incorporate into my week? And then I prioritized what do I want, what, do, what needs to get done? Even if I hate it, I have to do it first thing in the morning. So it's out of the way. And then it's more just, it's like taking all that jumbled, uh, jumbledness in our mind and just listing it out very neatly and acting on it, staying accountable and really just acting on it because if we just let ourselves go, it can just turn into a never ending spiral of anxiousness and nervousness. Yeah, I can totally completely relate. And just someone the other day was asking me like, kind of this exact conversation, like, what should I do? And I also write lists down. But what I don't do, which I'm now going to do, I always obviously I write down the things I have to do the things that are work related or lemon soul related, the things that I have to knock off. But I think what's really cool about what you said is you also include like, the self-care you also include in that list what you need to do for yourself and I think that's like a huge takeaway just even for me personally um, but from something that I will now you know tr try and remind other people as well is like you have to log in the time for you not the stuff that just like has to be done well your self-care also has to be done <laughs> and it, it is yeah. sometimes way easier when we can like plot it in and log it in especially if that's who I am I schedule everything and scheduling in those things those very simple things that sometimes again seem minute but can actually make like a world of difference and sometimes maybe can even motivate you to actually do the things that are work related or school related <laughs> exactly I think that's where I was getting with the self-care thing like imagine how exciting your list would be if you have three self-care items after every two or three tasks that need to get done it's just, it, it's like a little reward every time you finish certain tasks. It's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think another thing I also love about your post or your posts and your page is that you may always make a point um, that everyone's care is individual. And these are always like recommendations and not everyone's mental health and mental care is the same. Um, and I think that is a huge part of even just having a social media presence online in that realm. Why do you think that's so important for people to realize? I think sometimes people try to, so I'm becoming a professional, right? And if you take advice from a professional, sometimes people think that's just going to work. Um, if you go to a doctor's office, sometimes we just trust what they say, but we don't realize that they're telling us from the knowledge they have, but we have options. We always have the power to decide what method works best for us. Mm -hmm. And as a professional in training and someone with a huge following, I do not expect the tips that I post to be to work for everyone. And I don't want them to feel discouraged if they try something out and it doesn't work. So for example, writing out your thoughts, that's not something everyone enjoys to do. Um, a lot of people don't know where to start and how to do it and they just get frustrated. Uh, but for me, it works really well. But I know that there are clients of mine who were like, I tried it, it didn't work, I just got more frustrated, nothing works for me, and they just become discouraged and go into this thing where I cannot be helped is their belief that they hold on to. So it's really, really important to um, 
ensure that if you are in a position where you have a voice, um, to use it very responsibly. Well, and that's a huge conversation in and of itself with social media and all the life coaches. And I, well, not air quotes, but want to air quotes, you know, life coaches and these people that come on in, anyone can write that they're a fucking life coach on their Instagram, <laughs> right? Like who's to say what that certification is? And it's hard. And I imagine, especially for you, who's actually doing an education and actually be, you know, doing a profession in this field is like how frustrating I imagine that can be um, when people are just here being like, I'm your guru. Let me tell you how to live. This is one way. Let me fix you. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating for me and I'm not even in that field. Um, but uh, it's important for people to learn how to navigate social media in the mental health realm because there are so many pages that are telling you they can fix you and they know how, and this is the way, and buy my ebook, and buy my 12-step process to, you know, to make your life better, but you can't generalize mental health. Is that something that um, you see a lot of online as well? Definitely. I see so much of that, where people are just posting things. I think, especially um, people who are not in the mental health field, for example, you know, I'm becoming a clinical psychologist, but there are people who are becoming therapists. They have valuable information. But when you just have a um, certification as a life coach, you have to do a lot of more education um, on top of that to understand the complexity of human nature and human behavior. It, it is not just um, an experience that you had and how it worked for you. And that's just going to end up working for everyone. Because a lot of people talk about their personal stories and how they were able to come out of a certain um, anxious, uh, a certain anxiety or certain depression and so on and how that worked for them. So it's gonna work for everyone else too. Um, but again, I think it's just like education can be um, done through books. It can be done through so many different places. It's more less to do with the degree you have, more to do with how aware you are, how responsible you are when you're putting out that knowledge and how you can actually help people in a way that in, is inclusive and allows them to make a decision. So just empower them with the knowledge and allow them to make their own decision with what helps. Yeah, I think that, that empowerment, that's a huge word, is like giving people the knowledge, letting them do with it what they may, and not being like, this mm -hmm. is the one way to fix you. This is the, here's the one tip you need. <laughs> But it's, yeah, exactly. It's a hard challenge. How do you think, or how has maybe your page? How long has your Instagram been open? So it's gonna be a year in August. Oh, this this month it's gonna oh, be one year. Congratulations! <laughs> That's so exciting. <laughs> one year. You have almost three hundred thousand followers, dude. Like that is absolutely <laughs> incredible. How have you seen kind of your page maybe transform over the last year? Uh, I. Honestly, I gained, I think initially, I worked really hard on it. So I tried to really take in the content that I thought would really help people. And it was not um, my intention to gain this much following, but it's understood that mental health is a huge um, crisis right now. And there's not enough knowledge out there for it. So people were taking in that information. They were respecting the fact that I was putting out evidence-based information, I think, and they were just sharing it. So it just turned into, I think, 100K within five months. So the first five months. 
which is like, you know, now it's 300, almost, it's two, I think 270, but like, that was a huge thing for me. I was like, wow, how is this getting so much attention? And I realized this is a thing that people need this knowledge. They need to know how they can work on themselves because psychologists have been told to just hide behind their, um, you know, in their offices and not be very public and keep their clients private and so on. Social media is really hard to navigate for us because even in class, we're like, you know, when you're in therapy, don't talk about your personal life. Don't even tell them that you have a pet if they ask, like just bounce the question back to them. It's a very, it's all about the client kind of thing. And our responsibility is that we cannot give out any information where the client can be like, hey, you told me to do this. So I like, you know, I, it didn't work and now you're liable. So this was a huge risk for me, but I understood the need for better education. I understood that there was, when I was not a psychologist, um, I had family and friends that were going through mental illness and being in the South Asian community, we had no idea how to get help or where to even look. Uh, so I knew that this was something I wanted to do, got into this field for that reason. So I know that how, I know how I can support people at least that are close to me. And now I wanna make sure that those people who either are too afraid because of the stigma, because in my community, especially in the South Asian community, people have to hide from their parents when they're seeking mental health support. There's actually, sometimes they're just not even allowed to go seek a psychologist's help. So this was really important for me to start. And I think that passion came out in my account mm -hmm. um, and that's how it garnered so much uh, attention. And I think people are really realizing, like we were just talking about just earlier, is like there are so much, there's so much of this conversation online, on Instagram, on whatever platform. But like you're saying, it's coming from, you know, it's evidence based and it's coming from a reliable source and you're being responsible. And I think people can really see that and feel that and uh, um, want to come to your page because, you know, it's it's not just some frou frou. Instagram page that's just posting quotes, <laughs> aka Lemon Soul over here. Um, but <laughs> it's important that it's accessible. And like you were saying, like some people, maybe they don't even have the money to, you know, see, seek out a therapist, or they don't have, you know, they're just not able to get there. And what you're doing online is allowing people to have access to information that can literally like change their life. Like I, I imagine you get messages on the, on the daily of people that comment. I mean, I've seen your, your comments. There's sometimes like 400 comments on one post. How do you navigate going through all that in, in the weight of that? I feel, I mean, I get maybe one or two messages every now and again about stuff like that. And, and it's not my place to really give that type of help. What is that like trying to, navigate all the comments i'm sure people bring in their issues directly to your you know direct messages um so that's a huge thing it can get really exhausting if you don't set boundaries around that around how you're going to respond to people and around the time you're going to spend to reply to comments and so on um, one of the things that is very essential here is that as a psychologist in training or as a mental health professional is unethical to provide personal advice to people when they uh, message. So because we are considered professionals, we need to have a license to be able to um, provide psychotherapy. Right now, if I do psychotherapy, I have to be under the supervision of a registered clinical psychologist. So there's so many um, things that I'm glad that they're there for us. So 
That way I don't feel like, okay, if I'm not replying to them, it's because, you know, I don't have time. It's no, it's because I'm ethically not allowed to do it. But then when there's comments, yes, there are sometimes hundreds of comments. And uh, I usually try to just, uh, when I post, I maybe take out an hour max and that like whatever I can reply, whoever I can reply to within that amount of time, I do it. And then I just have to kind of let it go. It it was really hard in the start, but um, I'm able to just kind of set a boundary around that now. Yeah. And that's like a, that's like a full-time job in and of itself. Not <laughs> running the page, just answering comments. It's like a full-time yeah. job in and of itself. Um, I want to back up just a little bit because I want to talk again more about your story and how you got into this field. And uh, I was, I follow your page. So I know that your dad was the first one of his family to, you know, get a PhD and then you guys moved here. Now you're getting your PhD what's your PhD in and where, um, like where, what's the end goal? Where's like the schooling? What's I don't, I'm not a science kid. I'm an arts kid. So I don't know much of those fancy words. <laughs> so you have to break it down for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my parents, both of them actually, uh, were the first, I know actually my mom was the first woman in her family and my dad was the first person in his family to earn a PhD and they met in college. So really beautiful story for them. And then they decided to just leave everything and come here for a better education for their children. Um, and I'm so glad they did. And I'm so glad that they found a career within their field. Um, and I think their work ethic and their passion for what they educated themselves in really um, allowed me, they were great role models for me, basically. So I was like, you know what, I want to get to a point where I feel like I can um, do outreach, I can do consultation, and I can uh, play a role in mobilization of this knowledge that I gain in psychology. So psychology was a huge uh, decision for me because that's something I've been interested in since high school. And I was like, okay, how can I help people? I had never met a psychologist in my life. I didn't know what therapy entailed until I came to grad school. And I was actually, because of the stigma in my community, I actually kind of looked down on therapy when I got into the program I was more like oh, okay you know what I'm gonna do assessment so I'm doing my PhD in clinical neuropsychology where basically psychotherapy is a part of it research is another part of it which is why I am I'm able to do all this research for my content because I am basically a researcher um, and then there's that component of assessment so if someone has a car accident for example or a brain injury the uh, doctor will or the neurosurgeon or whoever will refer them to us and we will assess their memory their cognition their visual spatial functioning so that's a whole day of an assessment and I was I got into the program for that um, but now there's also that psychotherapy aspect and once I started doing it I realized the rewards in psychotherapy I realized that it is actually helpful to me too as I learn it I was able to apply some strategies to what was uh, unhealthy coping mechanisms in me and it really, really helped. And then I obviously saw my clients tell me how helpful the therapy was for them. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is something that everyone needs to just, you know, like we go when our neck is strained or, you know, whatever, we go for a massage, we could go for therapy once in a while and just allow like someone to filter out our thoughts and, you know, keep us accountable for how we are seeing the world. Um, so this is, I think the passion for psychotherapy came once I got into grad school, but that's basically my career field. 
That is so cool. And I, and I have a, a, an additional question on top of that, because I've said in the past, like, I think truly, and again, I've said this before, I have never been to therapy. I really think I could benefit from it. Note to side note to myself that I just need to do that. <laughs> Stop fucking saying I'm going to do it. But it is like you're saying, you know, everyone can go get a massage or you go get your car fixed up, but like therapy can be and should be for everyone. It doesn't just have to be if you're uh, struggling with a mental disorder. Do you think that would be like true? Is that true? Is that accurate? I don't know. <laughs> I, it is definitely accurate because see, this is the thing. A mental disorder um, can come to, it can come to a point where you have been living a certain way, thinking a certain way, forming these beliefs about yourself and about other people around you that you keep training your brain to think that way. You start seeing the whole world from this negative lens to the point where you are unable to come out of it. That's when it turns into a mental illness. It starts to affect your social, your relationships, your work, just everything. That's when it debilitates you. But imagine if you had just started to think that way. Once you faced a hardship and you realized, for example, you faced a, a great, great, like really bad failure. Now there's two things you can do. Either you can let that failure consume you and all these thoughts that come in your head, you can solidify them, the negative thoughts, or you can work through that failure and really allow yourself to forgive yourself and have self-compassion and understand that your worth does not depend from that. Like your failure has nothing to do with your own self-worth and who you are as a person and you're inherently worthy. That is huge for you to, those two ways to look at things can be the difference between a mental disorder and um, just, you know, being resilient and going through life and then taking more risks and, you know, being comfortable with um, getting out of your comfort zone and so on. Um, so if you, if we're able to get therapy at that point, when we're just starting to think that way, that would be phenomenal. It would be helpful for anyone. It's like being proactive instead of reactive, right? It's like, and, exactly. I, and I think that comes with a breaking down of the stigma of going to therapy. I think I posted, I think it was on Facebook. I posted a thing where it said like, um, boomers are like, oh, they're whispering like, oh, I went to therapy. She goes to therapy. And then it's like millennials are like, you'll never guess what I learned at therapy yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it is changing. But I, I think of like how amazing a world would be if just that was just something you did no matter what. It was just something to be proactive with your mental well-being, no matter good, bad or otherwise. It's just it's gaining those tools from someone who has the education and allows us to teach ourselves like along the way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think schools need to just start teaching the value of therapy and just other life skills that we need. Cause yeah. we, I never heard about therapy in school. I don't know if they, they do it now. Yeah. I hope they do, but that <laughs> needs to happen. So, so people just think, you know, this is something I should go to like, just like a doctor's appointment. Yeah. And I think things like this and Instagrams like yours bring that to light and people are beginning to realize again with the breaking down the stigma, which still has a long way to go. Um, but it's in a more of an open conversation, which is fucking awesome. Um, and again, it's still has a long way to go, but we will, I, I am optimistic and looking forward into the, like the mental health realm, especially having people like you going into that profession and, knowing your passions and also again, seeing them in a different way as like you were saying, like it's not uh, necessarily uh, I don't know, promoted is the right word for therapists to come online and be doing this type of stuff. But our generation is bringing that out. And I think it mm -hmm. making it accessible is just 
so huge and maybe will lead people to actually walk through the door eventually. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you just mentioned like the self, self-worth and you had recently did a post about the difference between self-esteem and self-worth and you had asked um, your followers kind of what they, what the difference was and most people did not know there was a difference. They just kind of thought they were one and the same. I know it's maybe a long conversation, but can you break down what is the difference between self-worth and self-esteem? Yeah, um, so I think a lot of people uh, take their self-worth from the things that they do that make them feel important or make them feel better. Um, And, you know, they are very intertwined, but self-esteem comes from basically things that Um, allow us to feel more successful in life and in general. So for example, eating healthier, working out, um, being, you know, accomplishing all our tasks, uh, achieving a degree or, you know, all these things are really great for our self-esteem because we feel like we did something, we accomplished something. But what happens when all these things are taken away from you? Do you still have self-esteem? And if you don't have self-esteem, then what do you need to have? It needs to be self-worth. So despite what is going on in your life, you have to understand that you are inherently worthy. You are deserving of happiness. It doesn't matter what you are experiencing in the current moment. You are still worthy to be happy and to work on yourself and be just, you belong in the room that you are. You're not less than anyone because of, what you have accomplished necessarily. And a lot of people tend to get consumed by this thing where, no, I need to do this, this, this to be able to feel valued or important. Um, And it's really hard to differentiate between the two. But once we start thinking of self-worth, which is what we really need to work on, and self-esteem comes with, you know, accomplishing things, obviously set goals for yourself, try to achieve them, But if you face failure, understand that you have to provide yourself with self-compassion. And that includes telling yourself that you are still worthy no matter what happens and no matter the mistakes you've made. And you can definitely move on from it, but that doesn't make you any less of a person. I think a ton of people, I feel like I'm in therapy right now. I'm like, this is so great. I'm like, wow, this is me right now. But like a a lot of people can relate, especially because with the pandemic, you know, my routine has gone fucking out the window. I haven't worked out in months. Um, but it is, I still find my, you know, I still carry worth in myself, even though, you know, maybe, you know, ate too much, you haven't gone to the gym or all, like all those other things are really coming down to it. And sometimes it's, it's not always easy. It's not a, as simple as like, but I'm still worthy. Sometimes you have to like kind of work at it and remember and remind yourself. And like you were saying that compassion, that compassion comes in huge. Because I think for myself only, I obviously can only speak from my experience is like the immediate thoughts is always the shitty ones. The immediate thought is always like, you piece of shit, you haven't gone to the gym, what the fuck? But then the second thought is like, okay, you're human, we're in a pandemic, the gym is closed. (laughs) Like, yes, there could be other things I could be doing, but I think it's really a talking, for me anyways, it's really like a talking through process of getting through those kind of, uh, that negative self-talk first and finding the compassion and kind of given, maybe the compassion gives the negative self-talk a little bit of a hug. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that's a great, that is probably the best way to uh, reform those negative automatic thoughts, right? Like when initially our, I don't know why this happens, but this is our first instinct that we are, our, our automatic thoughts are either overthinking or all or nothing thinking or just catastrophizing situation. And then we have to kind of step back and be more realistic. Okay, why is this happening? Yes, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's already a very anxiety provoking situation that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. So even if we have time, it's very hard to regulate that time to do something productive or to, to go take that time out to work out. Even for me, I think I tried initially, I was like, okay, routine, need to stick to a routine because this pandemic is making my anxiety go crazy. Did it for a month. I was cooking. I was doing all these things. I tried to like, you know, um, put makeup on every morning because that was part of my routine. I would dress up. And then came the middle three months where I was barely working out. I, my diet was just bad, like, you know, and um, having just, just wasting my time. And it was like, okay, so what did I end up doing today? And it would just be like, oh, I was just sitting in front of my desk, browsing social media or reading something, you know, just, and it just comes from anxiety. It comes from not understanding how to deal with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, so it happens, you know, and I think I have to talk myself out of it too. Like, you know, if that's okay. You're human. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Yep. Yes. Gyms are closed. Yes. You can go, work out with the waste you have in, in the garage or go out for a run, but sometimes you're just not motivated. Mm -hmm. So now I have this thing where I tell myself that you don't need to be motivated to do something that's good for you. Sometimes you just have to do it. Just like you don't, you're not always motivated to go to work, but sometimes you just have to go to work. So yes, you're not always motivated to take care of yourself, but sometimes you just have to do it. And that's, that's allowing me to do this more often. So I'm starting to go for runs. It's been week two. So I try to go every morning and it's, it's working. So let's, let's see how long this goes. Cause <laughs> that uncertainty of this pandemic can be very, um, very detrimental. I think. Yeah. I think like what you said about, you know, sometimes we don't want to go to work, but you have to, you, there's someone's expecting you there and you have to, I'm going to use that because I have been telling myself. So my routine used to be getting up extremely early working out before I went to work haven't been able to do that even like literally this morning I was like went to bed so early last night everything was great I'm like I'm definitely gonna get up early I did get up early but then I just rolled over and hit snooze again um but I like that it's like it's robotic almost it's not even like I shouldn't even give myself the opportunity to think about it it should be like alarm goes off just like sit up or turn a light on or something. I need like my alarm to connect to my bedroom lights. I think. <laughs> get, some light in there. get the light in there. <laughs> I like sleep in like pitch black. So it's very easy to fall, fall back asleep. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's genius. I, I need that too, actually. <laughs> just everything turn on and then I'll like wake up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about, again, growing up as an immigrant and kind of the challenges that you face going into this field going into doing this Instagram, um, again, because I have followed you, you know, you used to have purple hair, you have a nose ring, whether that, you know, as immigrant related with your parents or in the field itself. I know you made a post about, I used to have purple hair as well. Um, and kind of that, when you made that change, what are all those challenges like going into this field? Yeah. Um, so Initially, as an immigrant and coming from a community where uh, mental health is highly stigmatized, um, 
I think my biggest obstacles were to just not get so parental like my parents didn't really understand what I was doing when I got into the grad program they didn't know how hard it was to get into this grad program but they encouraged me they just allowed me to take this journey on and um, once they realized how important this was they obviously now understand um, but in my community there was also people that were um, you know saying things like oh you're not going to be a real doctor why didn't you go to do an MD like you know psychology is just it's it's not real science like you know there's these comments that you have to face and um, you have to have thick skin to be able to take that so I was I think because I had the most encouragement that my parents can give me I had that uh, it was okay for me to take that step and then these things, so the nose ring, I always wanted. And yes, it's part of my culture, but it's not something that any of my family members have. So it was something I wanted to do. It was my style and same with purple hair. Um, usually parents have something to say about purple hair, but my parents were completely okay with it. So I think I had a lot of support from my parents with those kind of things. Um, but when I got into the psychology, when I got into the program and as a therapist showing up in front of clients with purple hair, they didn't seem to mind, but my supervisors were more, um, you know, they when they give feedback and so on, sometimes you'd see that they weren't very approving of purple hair. And I just, you know, when you're in a work environment, you, I, I wasn't seeking their approval, but they were marking me, they were grading me. And that's something that we have to take into account when, we are in this kind of a field. And then if I would go to interviews for my practicums in the community, I'd always have to think, okay, how do I tie my hair? So it doesn't look too obvious and so on. So how do I take less space off basically, right? Um, and I think me posting that post about the purple hair was just to see like, what do people even think of this? And there was so much support. Um, but I wonder because, if there, because there was so much support, the people who have these critical thoughts and are sitting there judging you in an interview and so on, um, didn't speak up and so on. So I just, I don't know how to navigate that yet, but I think once I am licensed and once I don't have to um, be graded by anyone or be in interviews, I will definitely do whatever I wanna do. And um, uh, I think clients appreciate that. Just if you are authentic and what you're providing to them is of way more value than how you look. So. Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, even myself in a different, and again, in a completely different field, I work for our family business. My dad has always said, if I ever got my nose pierced, I would be fired. If I ever showed up with a tattoo, I would be fired and I'm covered in tattoos now <laughs> um, and have two nose piercings. My first, I actually have my septum pierced. It's, it's flipped up right now, but I had it for three years before he even knew because I would flip it up at work. <laughs> and then I got this one kind of like the last like year or something. He never said anything about it, which is so funny. But um, even in it, just like being in an atmosphere where you are being told um, you have to look a certain way, I understand. Um, and I think I struggled with it for a long time because I was like, this is who I am. Why should it matter? You know, this, this, this seems so silly and, and frivolous to me. Um, but it was, it's my dad's business. He owned it they're his clients, you know, they're not mine. Um, and again, it took five years before I, you know, eventually started showing my tattoos and showing my piercings and stuff. And even still to this day, I usually 
flip up my septum ring, but I've had mm-hmm. multiple hair colors over the years. And uh, by the end of the month, I'm going to dye it again and it'll be all funky looking. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a kind of, it's, it's good to talk about both sides of it because I think I can sit here and be like, yeah, be authentic, be yourself, like rock, whatever you want to but there is also part of like, depending on your field and what profession you go into that sometimes I have a hard time because I want to be like, you know, fight the man, like fight against it, like Mm -hmm. make space for yourself. But at the same time, I think like you have to also give and take because I think also understanding where other people are coming from. um, And I think I had actually commented on that post or I made a post about it on mine about people are scared of the unknown and a lot of not a lot some maybe a lot of like the older generation um just it's just not something that they're used to and that's okay and I have to kind of like you have to humanize them they're not doing this because you know they're mean people maybe some of them are some of them are but like they grew up in a different way as well and I have to be able now to like split that in half and be like, okay, I have to be able to respect their opinion and they're allowed to, you know, feel the way they feel and I feel the way I feel. But it's such like a hard, such a hard in between to navigate when you just want to like be yourself and, and promote authenticity at the same time. It's like, how are we ever going to change if I'm not mm. the change? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think there's so much, um, you know, this is where we feel like we've grown when we're able to see another person's perspective for what it is and not force them to change it or force them to see us the way we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it's a huge generation gap, then that perspective changes significantly and we need to empathize with theirs while we, you know, do our own thing. And I think as as we go into more professional fields and especially when being on social media and, you know, us putting out content in a certain way, we expect that there's going to be all kinds of people showing up on our account mm-hmm. and, you know, it's human nature to judge. It's human nature to look at a person and just judge. That's our first thing before they even say a single word, we are going to judge them based on their appearance. Mm-hmm. We're going to start. It's not even like a negative judgment. It's just, we're going to start to think, okay, this person might be like this, or this person seems friendly and blah, 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 you know? So that difference also increases with generation or with how you are as a professional and so on. Um, So I think there's a lot of decisions to make there. And it's not just always being like, okay, yeah, take up all the space that you can and um, be set boundaries around people who um, are always, uh, you know, making you feel like you're down. No, sometimes you have to push yourself to get to to experience what they're saying so you can grow and you can understand what is triggering you about that person so there's a lot of things where it's a really fine balance I'd say it is a very fine balance and I'm still navigating it with my dad who's extra conservative and you know which is great I challenge him every day and he's growing (laughs) so much I'm so proud but he tells his tendency (laughs) and he's allowed to Um, but I want to now talk about, you talk about taking up space and how that has kind of been something in the forefront of your mind lately, taking up space, being confident in what you have to offer and doing those things. How has that been like, a rep- how have you been, um, rep- representing, representing that? <laughs> Such a way, like, my words got fumbled there. 
how have been how has your representation been doing that online taking up space and why is that important so that's a that's a struggle that I still face um, with such a huge following. Sometimes I realize what's happening on my Instagram and I'm like, oh, my God, like I get overwhelmed. And then there's certain days where I just don't post or, you know, and that's me just being overwhelmed because it's so hard for me to take up that space still, um, even though there are so many people who reach out to me and say, you know, like they really value my work or advice and so on sometimes there's those thoughts of the imposter syndrome coming in um and that's basically me feeling like i'm not competent enough i don't have a license um, yet to prove that i'm a clinical psychologist although i'm in my fifth year of the program and the last like i'm graduating next year it just feels like i'm not you know there yet or i'm not qualified enough to give this advice and so on and these things really uh, limit, these are limiting beliefs, right? So they, they keep me from putting myself out there. Um, and just as a minority woman being in this space, it's scary um, because there's a lot of criticism that comes with it and you have to have thick skin to be able to um, acknowledge another person's opinion that is against the one that you have or something that you're putting out and people are like oh i don't agree with this and so on you have to really allow yourself to be okay with that and if you are taking up space you're going to face all these things and you have to be prepared for it and i think these are all these um struggles that i still navigate and i'm getting better at it but taking up space has been a difficult thing for me to do um, i've always been a shy kid growing up. I've never been super loud and just very um, mellow the way I, I think I still show up as a very mellow person, but that's how I've been. And it's being in such a huge space. It was more like, okay, I have to sound this extroverted person on social media and, you know, very friendly, but then I'm starting to realize, okay, the more authentic I am, the more myself I am, the better it is. And all these little thoughts just keep coming in my head and I keep working through them and I get better and better. Um, but the importance of taking space up is so essential for us to really move outside of that comfort zone. Yeah, I think myself included and a lot of people that hold a social media presence, one of my biggest fears is, God forbid, I ever have as many followers that you do, is the criticisms. And I, I don't have a thick skin. And like, I like want to work on preparing myself. And I think a lot of other people do as well. Do you think you always had a thick skin? Did you grow up gaining a thick skin? Did the social media presence give you a thick skin? And is it always thick? Because <laughs> that's what I mean. That's so, it's so hard. I cannot, uh, I don't want the day to, oh God, it makes me like so nervous to think about the day where I get a mean message. I'm like such, I dress like a punk and I have a lot of tattoos and piercings, but I'm like soft, such a soft little like furry kid on the inside. <laughs> and like, that's like my, honestly, one of my biggest fears is like, okay, just keep the number. Like, I don't need that many followers. Just keep the numbers down. Cause I just feel like it's just inevitable, but it, it's scary. And how do you prepare yourself for that? I, um, I think this is just coming from getting that much following. I had to learn how to navigate it because if I didn't, um, I would be nervous every time I'm putting out content and my content would be so 
it would take so much more thought for me to try to include everyone. It's just, it's unrealistic almost, right? So for me to understand where my vision is, what my purpose is for this account, and not limit myself to just stay within a range where I'm not facing criticism, it's so limiting that I had to work through it because eventually once I started gaining more following, I would also get unfollows. And so for example, now when I make a post, on average, I get around 300 350 unfollows every day. And that's a huge unfollowing. So initially I would be like, oh my God, why are so many, like, you know, why are people unfollowing? Did I post something that was not okay? But then I realized that that's, people just do it. People just see a post. Maybe that's not their day to see it and they just unfollow. Maybe they don't want it on there. I don't know what's going on, right? So I can't, I can't personalize all these things. Um, And I think, yeah, this is, specifically related to social media. Um, I don't have thick skin all the time outside of social media, but personal experiences, especially with, you know, how our negative experiences in our lives from our relationships, our friendships and so on, allow us to form more of a thick skin because we have to be our biggest advocate, advocators and like, because like we can criticize ourselves all we want, but when we get go through a really hard time, it's up to us to, get ourselves out of that hard time. No one's going to help us um, unless we seek that support from them. Mm-hmm. So that thick skin forms once you gain all these negative experiences and how you work your way to get out of them. Um, but yeah, very different from social media. I think I have, to, <laughs> I, have to, I have to separate the two because I really don't have thick skin all the time in real life. I, I still have to, you know, process all these feelings and so on. Yeah. Is I love having these conversations and you get to really see like the full realm of like a human being, right? Especially on social media, it's very, sometimes can very be very highlight reel and you never really, really, really know a person. And that's why I love having these conversations and putting this type of content out because it's humanizing and it's, it's the vulnerability of having this type of conversation allows for connection and allows for other people to feel like, oh, I'm not so different from this person who has a ton of followers online. And so I super like, Mm -hmm. just want to thank you for like actually coming on and, and being so honest and vulnerable and talking about all, all sorts of your own stuff, because I know that in the social media realm, it's not always easy. And honestly, it changes day to day because sometimes I feel super authentic. And then some days I feel like I don't want to share shit at all. (laughs) And it changes, it changes over time. (laughs) Um, So I want to, Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was just going to say, I totally agree. I like, I see you on, on social media, but it's just so much more authentic to talk on a very personable level. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me. I, I think this is, it's my pleasure to just be able to have this authentic conversation. Yeah. What is something, <laughs> what is something that you, what is the thing you get asked the most online? Um, so most of the time it's, if I post content, um, people are going through their own personal experiences and unfortunately I can't reply to their personal message, but I do take the main theme of the most questions that I get and try to formulate my series of posts accordingly. So the most, um, people sometimes don't have anyone to share their problems with. It's you know, when they don't have the family support, the friends, they have to find advice from someone. So people, usually anxiousness and depression related thoughts are the most that I get. So questions related to this is going on in my relationship. 
and they all have to do with relationships. A lot of them have to do with relationships because our relationships really define us, right? Because we interact with people, they interact with us, we create beliefs for ourselves and for them and so on. So I think just, uh, I, I think I understood the importance of having relationships and what they mean to us after starting this account because yeah, you know, therapy, we talk about relationships too, but the intensity of questions regarding how to navigate relationships in a way that makes, you know, um, them feel important and also not, um, not feel like a less of a person because of a toxic environment that they're in. So yeah, I think those questions are the most and uh, I try to make my posts accordingly. Yes. When you say relationships, is that more like intimate relationships or is like friendships, parental relationships? Is it more segregated to like, like love and intimacy type of relationship? It's a, it's a lot of it has to do with personal relationships with a partner. Um, But I get a lot of questions about family relationships as well as friendships. Like, okay, this is what happened and I don't know what to do here or um, just, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with um, intimate relationships, especially breakups and how to navigate that. Yeah, I think yeah. when I think of like a lot of questions or a lot of stuff that I see online, which again, I'll put myself on the line here. I don't know a ton of a ton about is the term gaslighting. And I, I know you have made posts about this and stuff in the past. And I read something online about how when I hear the word gaslighting, I think of like those partner relationships and being gaslit in you know, with a partner, but you can also be gaslit by family members, by parents, by siblings, by, by friendships. And I don't think that that is really in the forefront of that conversation. Um, what is gas? Can you give me like a quick rundown of like what gaslighting is? Is that a new term? Is that like a millennial term? I don't even know. <laughs> you know, you can see like uh, word trends on Google now and you'll see that in the past few years, the word gaslighting has just gone exponentially high. It came out a while back, like decades ago, I think in the forties or something like that, when there was a movie that came out and it was basically, you know, this uh, man trying to make his wife believe that she's crazy. And um, he was using all these gaslighting tactics on her. Um, So that's where the term came from, but now it's being used. um, I think it's being overused almost because gaslighting can be intentional or unintentional. So just saying that you're gaslighting me might be a form of an attack towards a person, even though they're not really trying to do that. Mm. Um, But gaslighting is basically someone minimizing your experience in a way that makes you feel as if you are crazy and you're oversensitive or doubting yourself. Um, And you just start questioning, okay, so maybe they were, or, you know, if an intentional thing would be, say you approach someone and say, you did this, that was not okay. And the person just completely outright denies it when they know they did that. So denial, like blatant denial is gaslighting and it is usually intentional. But there's also other things where people can just minimize your feelings by saying, oh, you're being too sensitive or you don't know what you're talking about. Um, You know, I think you're overreacting. These little statements can be very invalidating and can be a form of gaslighting, but the other person might not know that they're making you feel that way. But you just sit in that self-doubt for a really long time. And if it happens over and over again, you lose your self-worth and 
what you like you just don't don't even know your identity anymore right especially in relationships because we value that person's opinion so much so yeah that's what gaslighting basically is i love that clarification thank you because i always felt like um gaslighting was like a manipulation of sort it always felt like very manipulative but i like that you're clarifying that some people don't even realize that they're doing that like it can be unintentional it isn't always intentional um but I always thought it was intentional. (laughs) I definitely thought it was like, you know, a manipulative trait in like, in a type of person. So thank you for that clarification. Um, I want to wind down a little bit and talk about the course that you do three times a year. What is it? Do you have one? I'm not going to, does one coming up in September? You said, yes. So there's one coming up September. Um, So this is a course on um, how to speak up with confidence. And a lot of it has to do with how you navigate your workplace relationships. Um, So for example, so I I partnered with um, Sahar. She is from California. She was trained at Harvard. She did communications consulting for 10 years. So she does the um, outer component of like, you know, what your body language should look like, how you should approach and how you should prepare for Um, when you have to pitch an idea or when you have to talk in a confident way. But the strategies that we use can also be very full-on applied in personal relationships. So how you can show up more confidently in your relationships with your friends and just in uh, a social environment. And so for me, my part there is to talk about how to deal with those feelings of self-doubt, how to reform your negative thought patterns into more realistic ones, so rational thinking um, techniques and um, how to communicate more assertively. So it's all about communication and um, basically taking up more space. So feeling more empowered to be able to stand in front of a bunch of people and pitch your idea without having all that self-doubt consume you. Yeah, I can, um, I feel like I need to take this course and it's, which is so funny. And I know people are always like, you do the podcast. I'm like, yeah, but it's like me and one person and I'm still always fucking so nervous. But I remember when I was in school, we had to like, so I went to school for communications for film. So we always had to pitch film ideas and I would get up there like a little shy, little mouse. I remember crying on multiple accounts and my professor came outside to me. And she was like, you know, like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm just like, so scared. Like, what if no one likes my idea, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the best advice I ever got. And you know, she said to me, she's like, she's like, it's okay. Like, it's okay that you're nervous. I actually, it's good that you're nervous. It shows me that you care. And I was like, oh my goodness, what a refreshing way to look at this. <laughs> and so my public speaking has gotten better just off that, like, that one, that one comment from that one person, and she was a really strict teacher. So I think I was also just really afraid of her, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it's hard as a woman. And again, I can only speak from my experience as a woman to take up space is really hard. And even for the people that you think might be the most confident, you never know what someone is projecting versus who they really are. And I think that when it comes down to, I think, a lot of people have a hard time taking up space. I would say most people have a hard time taking up space. Do you find that a lot of the people that have taken your course in the past have been women or is it an array? I, so for the course, I think it was uh, a mix. I had almost 65 students in the last course and a lot of them were a mix, right? So mm-hmm. these were uh, 
especially personal development courses like that, you usually want to work on yourself in your work environment. And so you take the course and, uh, you know, hopefully you find it helpful. And you can, if you actually take those tools and work on them, because everything takes practice. Yes, we have a hard time taking up space, probably because we never did it when we were growing up. We were just sitting in class in a very you know, shy way and just not even raising our hand most of the time. So taking up space is hard. But if we practice, we learn all the tools and techniques and we practice in our real life environment, the more we do it, the easier it gets to take up space. And the more space we end up taking, the more confident we become, the more risks and opportunities we seek out then. So it's just, it's all about learning new things and unlearning those old thought patterns and behaviors. Yeah. Um, yeah. From the yeah. Getting outside of your comfort zone and kind of, again, like you're saying, just acting on it and learning the right mm -hmm. steps to actually do it. <laughs> so when, yeah. of course, can people, like, can people, anyone type, sign up? Like, when would the registration be? Tell me kind of all those details. If you yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so usually um, uh, we do have a webinar. So it's a free webinar that people can see, like, a see a small dose of how the course will look like just so people know what they're getting into and if they really want the course. So the webinar launches on um, August 31st and it'll stay up for two weeks. People have that time to look at it. And then right then the course sales page also launches. Um, and the first week there's, um, you know, a bonus discount price. And then the second week the course is full price. And then it's just a two week sales period. And then the course starts on September 15th. And then we just, um we just get into it <laughs> so i love this this is so exciting i mean this will yeah. definitely be out before then so this is very exciting <laughs> um, <laughs> so my timer's gone off we're gonna wind down a little bit i want i kind of do like kind of a end set of questions and then i kind of play not a game but it's kind of a game um but one of the questions that i love to ask everyone is what your relationship like especially as we've discussed this what has your relationship been like with failure so failure includes a lot of self-compassion for me. Um, there has to be, uh, you know, this period of time where when I face failure, uh, I don't let it consume me. I sit with it. I tell myself, okay, yes, this sucks. And I tell myself I could have done better here, 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 but I tried the best I could in that moment. And that's okay. It's not like, you know, I intentionally tried to, sabotage myself or sabotage a relationship with someone or whatever the situation might be and I bring in that component that you know I am human I make mistakes or things happen shit happens we move on and how can I do better next time and since I know better I should be doing better next time you know these things it's just you know you experience it you sit with it for a little bit understand that it sucks and then move on to the self-compassion component and then action what can I do to move forward from it? How can I make the situation better? So yeah, I think it just has to be this process. Otherwise it can just, those, that negative loop of thinking can just consume you and it just turns into a shit show. So. Yeah. I think that's awesome to say, like to lay it out like that in a process, uh, like um, layout, because I feel like a lot of times when we fail or, you know, you hit a roadblock in anything, the first re my reaction anyway is like, okay, how do I fix this? This is wrong. I shouldn't be feeling this way. Like, how do I get through this? I don't want to feel this way anymore. Mm -hmm. And part of the process is just experiencing it. And I'm going through that right now with my own stuff is like, 
stop fighting it, stop trying to make it better right now, just let it be its thing. <laughs> and usually when I allow it to sit there and do its thing, then I move on to the next step of, you know, again, like working through that emotional humanizing myself and step by step. But I think we get really caught up in like, we just need to fix it. And I think that comes a lot with like that toxic positivity that can be on social media where it's just like, just be happy. That's all you got to do is mm-hmm. just be happy. Good vibes only. And I'm like, well, that's not really realistic. <laughs> <laughs> so it does. It takes a process. It, it definitely takes a process. Um, what would yeah. be, what would be for someone, anyone listening who's going through a rough time, what would be one piece of advice that you could give? I know that's a really general statement, but what is it, what would be, you know, your best piece of advice for someone listening who, who might be struggling? So the one thing that is so valuable that works for me and whoever I tell this to is, um, whatever you're feeling is temporary. And whatever your thoughts are, doesn't mean that they're true. Your feelings are not facts and your thoughts are not always true. If you're feeling anxious about something and you think that you're not going to be able to do it, that's just a feeling. And that doesn't mean you're actually not going to be able to do it. You know, you're feeling anxious, recognize it, acknowledge it, and then work through it. But don't allow your feelings to consume you to the point where they're just limiting you because they are temporary and you will get, you will move past them. So I think that's something. <laughs> Girl, that was so good. It's so funny how like life's little, you, the universe has its little ways. I literally just started probably in the last like month or so reiterating, you know, uh, feelings aren't facts. That's been my go-to like uh, mantra, if you want to say, call it that. Like, mm-hmm. that's so funny that you literally just said that. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I feel so <laughs> <It's a sign. laughs> I feel so <laughs> <It's a sign. laughs> Okay, awesome. Is there anything else that you want to talk about um, that we haven't discussed yet. Uh, anything that you want to discuss that we might have missed? I did. I did start a. I also started a newsletter that comes out every Sunday. Yeah. And this is just something I started this month, and my first one came out on Sunday, um, and the next one's this Sunday. But basically, I go in more in depth into topics that um, people have asked me to go into more detail about, and they want like a one. Uh, resource for it rather than a multiple post that they're trying to save. So if anyone is interested in just signing up for the newsletter, it's completely free, um, comes out every week and you just go on the link in my bio, sign up for my newsletter and you'll just get that every week. So, you know, it's going to be different topics. Sometimes it's anxiety, but there's also like journal prompts in it. I think just a lot of things that people have asked me to share but I wasn't able to because Instagram is limiting in that sense so yeah oh, yeah perfect. that's so exciting so everyone needs to go sign yeah. up for that newsletter right now <laughs> put a link in her bio <laughs> so you just started that that was just re- I just honestly before we logged on to do the interview I saw you were t- you're talking about it on your Instagram story yeah I just I just started that and I think uh it, it was a long time coming because I've been asked so many times to organize my information in certain documents so people can access it whenever they want rather than trying to you know go back to my posts and so on Mm -hmm. so I'm just glad that I'm starting this up and people are finding it helpful so I thought I'd mention that here too good adding on to your list of (laughs) to-dos yeah exactly or another (laughs) full-time job (laughs) okay so at the end of every interview so I have this lovely list of 365 questions 
Mm -hmm. I'm just going to ask you to pick a number and I'm just going to go to that number and some, you know, we're just going to ask you whatever the question is. Oh, that's fun. Um, okay. I will pick 160. 160. Ooh, one more page. Okay. 160. What is the next big step you need to take? Oh, wow. <laughs> that is, that is uh, huge. Um, the next big step that I need to take is, I'd say, I'd say write a book. I really want to write a book. That's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Mm -hmm. So definitely write a book. That's my next big step. The next big step. It's going to be another thing to add on my list, but that's <laughs> something I want to do. I don't know when that'll happen, but that's my, yeah, that would be my next big step. I can't wait to read. I'm so excited. Would it be, would you, would you call it the brain coach? I don't know. I'm not sure. That's, that's a great, that's a great title though. Yeah. Where did the, where did the yeah. title the brain coach come from? Uh, I just, I knew that I couldn't put the brain doctor because I'm not a doctor yet. I'd still have a couple of years to go. So I was like, let's see, what can I do? So that ended up being, you know, uh, parallel to neuropsychologist. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Let's pick one more question. Let's do another number. Pick another number for me. Uh, I will pick seven. Back to the first page. Number seven. <laughs> do you ask enough questions or do you settle for what you know? Depends on the situation, but I try now to make an effort to ask more questions because sometimes I just stay silent when I really have some questions coming up. So I think the part where it's like, okay, is this a stupid question to ask that thing, that thought I try to like get past it and just ask, because if I need to know it's important to me. So I try asking more questions now, but before I just let myself be the way it is. And maybe I'll like email the person later or text them like, Hey, I have this question, <laughs> but no, I try asking more questions now. We're taking up more space. You like just yes, taking exactly. up more space, taking up more space, asking more questions. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Exactly, a work in progress, but it's happening. I love it. I love it. Here's your sign. <laughs> um, my last question. So I come from like a film photography background. My very last question is: If your life was a photograph, what would it look like? If it was one picture, it would look like me um, sitting on my computer <laughs> in front of a um, big brain background. <laughs> and then there's a bunch of things that I enjoy doing and my family and my friends just, you know, in one corner of that picture, but just, just the basic things in life that give me joy and that has to do with my degree my uh social media the stuff i do here and then also my relationships in my life that i really really value and i make time for and self-care it's super important so all these things would be combined in one tiny picture and just you know love it explain who i am with a big brain in the background <laughs> yeah and also, speaking of relationships, congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. Thank you. That's so exciting. <laughs> I, saw, 
I saw in the post, like, this is not a wedding dress. <laughs> and I was like, reading, I'm like, but she's wearing a wedding dress, but she said engagement, but I had to read the little caption. But congratulations. I know that I, I live in the state, so I know that I can't imagine that has been an easy experience the last several months. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's like, you know, we're in a border city, so it's 20 minutes away, but it's not really anymore. It's just a huge border now. It's like a wall, like an imaginary wall that Trump actually put in front of me. <laughs> but no uh thank you so much i think uh hopefully this will allow us to you know be able to see each other because of the restrictions um so yeah yay <laughs> we did it that's the podcast and that's a wrap on another episode for us i hope you enjoyed the conversation Nawal is just such a good energy and has such a profound and well-versed education in the things that she discusses that I just so appreciate her coming on and having this conversation for me and the Lemon Soul community and anyone listening. Please go check her stuff out at The Brain Coach on Instagram. Let's get her to 300,000 followers. She deserves it. I am so excited and I just hope you guys took something away. And, and gathered another self-help tool. And if you haven't on this episode, check out her Instagram and I'm sure you will find something that relates to you. Have a great fucking day. And if you're not having a great day, that's okay too. We will see you next time.